the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm here, as always, with my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, glad to be here. Hope everyone is well. Yes, we are just three days out from Halloween. Nadia, did you do anything fun over Halloween? My neighborhood is very unfun for Halloween. Uh, I've lived here in this building for more than 10 years, and no one has ever come to my door. So I buy a bunch of candy and pretend I'm actually going to like give it away just in case someone comes, but no one ever comes, so I'm like, oh well, I guess I have to eat this candy by myself. It's normally the same for me because I live in an apartment complex and nobody ever comes up. Even though one year we decorated like the Aww. little doorbell and everything and basically yeah. said, come here for candy, but nobody <laughs> rang the doorbell except for our next door neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give us some candy. What are they even dressed up? Well, they have a young kid, so it was okay. Oh, that's sweet. Okay, you know, I should go down to the lobby next year, maybe. But this year, I went trick-or-treating for the first time since I was 14 years old. Oh, my God. Did anyone tell you to go to hell? <laughs> well, I uh, I went with my friends and their young daughter, who was like two oh, years okay. old. So it was basically an entourage of the six of us, which would be the four of us plus both of the grandmas <laughs> with the little, this little girl. And then we all dressed up. Um, and we were dressed up as fruit because we were like a fruit Oh, I basket. saw that picture on your Facebook. That was yep. cute. So my friend was banana. My girlfriend was a was a, some, a bunch of grapes. Uh, the little girl <laughs> was a strawberry. Uh, the mom was a watermelon. And I was a pineapple. <laughs> Ew, I hate pineapple. I wore a yellow I mean, dress I like you, with a little I... pineapple in my head. And it was great. I was well, pineapple like was lady fun. to the passing kids. And oh my God. <laughs> That neighborhood, so we were up in Napa, it was this kind of, it wasn't Richie Rich, but it was a fairly well-to-do suburb, I would say, Mm -hmm. and they went all out on Halloween. It was crazy. People were decorating their houses, dressing up uh, as various people. They they went crazy with the Halloween, and there were just hordes and hordes of kids, hordes in the middle of the street, and we were driving through trying not to hit any of them going... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, this is what the zombie apocalypse will look like. <laughs> All the children. Children of the corn apocalypse. So half the fun of having a young kid that you go with is, first of all, you get to go trick-or-treating again for the first time since you were little. So you get to mm-hmm. kind of rekindle a little bit of that joy. And she was only two, so this was literally the first time she got to say trick-or-treat. So this was all... <laughs> totally fresh and new and she was so freaking adorable my god is a little strawberry so <laughs> she get handfuls of candy oh yeah she she came out with a great haul my gosh she had a a, a fairly a modest size kitty bucket mm-hmm. and that bucket was filled to the brim with candy <laughs> nice nice we, haul. we adults may have been raiding that candy bucket well, you're, what you're supposed to do is you kind of empty out the bucket into like a sack and say, okay, here you go, fill it up again. Nadia, what is your Halloween candy of choice out of curiosity? It's a little different up here because you guys like Hershey's has like some sort of mafia going down on down there. It's so, true. They do. So up here, it's like a lot of Canadian candies. God, it's been so long since I've really been trick-or-treating. But like basically Canada gets a lot of Cadbury bars mm. still. So almost anything by Cadbury is a win. I love crunchy crunchy is one of my favorite chocolate bars coffee crisp also one of my favorite chocolate bars 
Um, the you Kit get Kats. wine gums up there, right? We have wine gums. Yep, I wine, love gums wine gums are some of my favorite things, and I always get them when over when I'm over in the UK. Oh man, when when I if I ever get to see you like next year, I'll, I'll bring you like a bag, a bunch of bags of wine gums are everywhere here. Don't do that. I put them in the freezer and it's bad for me. They're so bad for your teeth. Oh my god! Oh my god! god, They're atrocious for your teeth. It's ridiculous. There was one year I got a toothbrush in my bag. Oh, (laughs) don't do that! And my mom's just looking at this toothbrush and swearing at it. Like, who even does that? That's ridiculous. Okay, first of all, you get toothbrushes for free from the dentist. Yeah, come on. Second of all, it's Halloween. You can have one night of fun with candy and stuff, okay? As long as you don't make it a lifestyle. God. Yeah. Well, I guess it's better than getting, like, a jack chick tracked in your bag, which has never happened to me, but I've heard stories. Ask the Blood God listeners, don't ever give kids jack trick chick tracks or <laughs> toothbrushes or wax lips. Don't do that either. Who the hell gives kids wax lips? What are the points of wax lips? Uh, They're funny? I don't know. You know what are freaking nasty or good and plenty? I'm sorry you guys had to put up with that. We don't have it up here. I don't think I've ever gotten good and plenty. I, I hated anything with nuts mm, or almonds like or anything. Oh, I love almonds. I like Milky Ways. I, Milky Ways are okay, yeah. Snickers were okay. I, I'm not big on Snickers. They were just okay. They weren't my favorite. Yeah, they're, they're very mid-tier chocolate bars. Uh, 100 Grands, very good. I've never had one of those. Twix. Twix are always Twix good. are good. Anything with caramel. But the champion for me were Butterfingers. We don't have Butterfingers up here. I mean, my husband goes nuts, always telling me, look out for Butterfingers whenever I go out to the store. I'm like, dude, we don't have Butterfingers. You're, you're going to have to live with it. You've been here for 15 years, probably more now that I think about it. We have Wonder Bar. Eat your stupid Wonder Bars. No, I want, I want Butterfinger. Well, we don't have any goddamn Butterfingers, so deal with it. Uh, what it is like to be uh, in Canada on the outside looking in uh, to America. <laughs> going uh, <laughs> if only i could get butterfingers i guess i'll just have to well watch my curling and enjoy my wonder bars most of our chocolate is a little bit better i mean like i had a kit kat when i was in the states uh just earlier last month and i was like oh my god what is wrong with your kit kats they taste like sugar <laughs> the the proper the proper move is to go to japan oh they're nuts i i, I want a japanese kit kat so bad i'm pretty sure they got to sell them somewhere around like one of the asian stores in toronto but i haven't really gotten any maybe ebay (laughs) (laughs) they come back all stale consider green tea kit kats those are Uh, that's my first of choice my first uh my first choice whenever i get japanese kit kats what is it with japan and these crazy flavors they're amazing uh they do that with soft cream too yeah they do it with everything yeah it's one of my favorite things during the summer is to go to a temple and see what nutty uh, soft green flavor I can and I can find it's so delicious oh man I'm jealous I need to go to Japan sometime just to eat all the weird food okay a few things that we're going to be covering this week in this episode's this episode of Axe to Blood God we are going to be talking about the Xbox One X and Xbox's kind of checkered history with RPGs especially these days we're oh yeah talking about uh, we're going to be doing another Final Fantasy 9 report Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that we're not going to have a Secret of Mana report this week because Aww. we did not have time to play it. We were a little frantically busy trying to get ready for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get those fruits together. We usually play on Tuesday nights mm-hmm. uh, or during the weekend. And during the weekend, we were in Napa visiting our friends literally all weekend. Oh, that's nice. 
I mean, yeah, it was nice. It was pretty foggy out, but it also, it kept me away from A, Mario Odyssey, and B, Secret of Mana. Away from, yeah, video games in general, I suppose, which yeah. I guess it's nice to take a break once in a while, but then you can't play video games. We played Jackbox. That was fun. Jackbox, Jackbox on the Jackbox. Switch is secretly amazing. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, just get it on the Switch and put it on the dock, and then you can everybody can play together, and it's a great party game if you want to play with your family, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, and family. then, of course, on Tuesday, we were out trick-or-treating, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you were pretty busy. But first, going to quickly do a small bit of RPG news. This headline caught my eye, Nadia. It mm-hmm. was Yoko Taro, uh, the director of Nier Automata, apparently uh, possibly in line to direct a Final Fantasy. <laughs> Did you see um, this? Yes, please. Yes, I, I would I would enjoy that. I mean, from what little I played of Nier Automata... Um, I really feel like, and from what I've heard from people, is that Taro can tell a really interesting, involved, and deep story without going completely up his own ass, which is a problem Square Enix has had for a very long time now. Although Final Fantasy XV wasn't too bad in that regard, in my opinion. On the one hand, yes, he creates really interesting universes. On the other hand, he... I don't know if his kind of bonkers approach to multiple endings, mm. deconstructing game design in general, would be a great fit for the Final Fantasy franchise. Also, he's a bit of a nihilist, and I've found yeah. that Final Fantasy is much more optimistic. Well, maybe I it should is. say that he's extremely cynical, and Final he's Fantasy a very cynical, is yeah. much more yeah. optimistic than what he would bring to the table. That would be a really interesting combination, though, just... I would still love to see it happen. Uh, apparently, Square Enix executive producer Yosuke Saito said that he'd like to see if you could get him to work on it. He said, I'm actually rather interested to see if he would be interested in working on a Final Fantasy title featuring the similar strangeness. <laughs> and Taro said, I'm hoping for a big budget if I do work on it. Eh, you get a pretty big budget. Final Fantasy is always going to get a big budget. Yeah. My God, that would be either like a um, a beautiful disaster or I don't know how I, I would even think of it coming out, but I would love to see it one way or the other. I don't know if he would be given a numbered Final Fantasy. It no, would be I doubt quite it. surprising if he was given a Final Fantasy 16. I, I would imagine that the more traditional group mm-hmm. of like Katase and such would be given a Final Fantasy, uh, would be given the reins to those games. But... I could potentially see him doing a spin-off on maybe the Switch. Yeah, sure. That's that's okay with me. Did I, you play um any of Nier Automata yet? I haven't picked up Nier Automata, no. Okay, so you didn't get that weird ass loading screen at the beginning of the game that really screwed up a lot of people. Uh no, I I I have not gotten this thing, but when uh, basically, I do I will tell you about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because uh it just kind of ties really well into that whole nihilism thing you were just talking about. Mm. Yes, uh, Taro Yoko is the kind of person who has looked into the void and had the void look back on him. <laughs> and he said, wow, I'm going to make a game about this. It's going to have sexy robots. Guard 3, first game I ever reviewed for US Gamer. One of the most profoundly messed up games I've ever played. I've always wanted to get into the Guard series. That's the one with like, the nah, dragons, No, you right? don't. Okay. <laughs> They're a total mess. They really are. From like, a technical <laughs> standpoint... It was up until this point, he's just never had any money or resources to make right. the games that he's wanted, and 
yeah, even near Automata, you know, nobody would ever accuse that game of being amazing looking. It's just it's no, good it's enough. still a little bit. Yeah, you can tell a little bit around the seams. It still looks fine for what it is, but yeah, it has a lot of creative vision at least to really kind of make up for that less technical, lesser tech. Paramount was a studio that has actual technical prowess, like Platinum, and you get a a decent game that mm-hmm. also manages to incorporate a lot of the craziness that Taro Yoko is known for. And mm-hmm. I don't know, Final Fantasy is kind of a blank canvas. <laughs> Final Fantasy does whatever it wants, whatever its mood is at the particular time. Yeah. Uh, once it is upon quite a time, mobile. Final Fantasy had a distinct look and a distinct feel to it. Definitely. Distinct themes, that kind of thing. Not so much anymore. <laughs> no, no, it's very, it varies very much from from title to title. I think that it's been that way since 10, I would think. I would even say that it's to its detriment. Yeah. Um, I really did like the way that Final Fantasy 15 meshes tech and, uh, and magic, but you'd still get the impression that sometimes it doesn't know what the hell it's doing. FF15 felt more like a Final Fantasy game than mm-hmm. in the past. And I, and I guess 13 also does as well, but... A lot of the earlier Final Fantasy games had a real kind of sense of wonder to them. They mm-hmm. they talked they focused a lot about people's kind of relationship to the planet. There was kind of an ecological thing going on there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like Final Fantasy twelve, I I like it very very much. I really enjoyed it, but um, it's it feels very different from every other Final Fantasy game, practically, especially the earlier ones. It's very much it has its world sorted out, which I really like. But it doesn't feel quite like a Final Fantasy to me. Very memorable worlds. Uh, it, it is. I love the way that they incorporated everything from tactics mm-hmm. on top of like the spaceships and everything. The kind of medieval world mixed with high technology is definitely a stamp of Final Fantasy. But Yeah, yeah, especially uh, 6 and uh, 9. I'm going to be that person and be like, eh, it hasn't been the same since Sakaguchi left, sadly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I do see where you're coming from there. Not to say it's been bad. Um, again, I really like 12. I liked 15. I never played 13. I probably won't. And of course, 14 is supposed to be fantastic. But yeah, there's a certain touch Sakaguchi has that is not there anymore. Yeah, here's an idea. Mm-hmm. Suck it up, pay Sakaguchi a bunch of money, and have him direct a Final Fantasy. Maybe he's very happy with his mobile game. I'm sure he is. <laughs> and yeah. I'm sure that... There's a lot of complications going on there since Square Enix pushed him out. But could you imagine? I mean, the guy came out and endorsed Final Fantasy 15. He yeah. has enough of a relationship with Square Enix still that he's willing to do that. Would you imagine how the internet would explode if he was given the reins to Final Fantasy 16? Now, was he pushed out because of the awful movie? Or was it just one of those Japanese things where you kind of slowly retired and... In- as an apology almost my understanding is that he the the movie was pretty much the end of him with final fantasy and that he ended up moving on because after final fantasy around final fantasy 6 he got promoted Mm -hmm. Uh, and he handed the reins off to his two like lieutenants Mm-hmm. And from that point on, he was involved in pretty much everything, and he had a much more executive role within uh, Square Enix. So right. he was still involved, but less so. And so right. when 
I mean, when that Hawaiian studio, which was his thing, I mean, he started the studio, he moved to Hawaii to do it. They made that ridiculously expensive movie that damn near tanked Square in it, the Squaresoft. He took the bullet for it. (laughs) And probably so. Here's a, a little bit of trivia that just came to mind. I totally forgot about it. I don't know how true it is or not, but here's the rumor. There is an art college, prestigious one in Ontario called Sheridan, and apparently Square Enix hired a bunch of people from Sheridan to work on this movie, and they behaved so badly (laughs) that Square Enix swore they would never hire anyone from Sheridan again. Maybe not Canada even. I don't even know how bad it was, but it was pretty bad the way I hear it from my various artist friends. So uh, there you go. Canadians can get rowdy. Never send a bunch of Canadian artists to Hawaii. Apparently not. Apparently they really screwed up bad. Oh, we get to hang out on the beach, eh? This is going to be great. <laughs> Party on, eh? That's what keeps us sane is the snow. If we don't like expose <laughs> ourselves to ice hockey, we like all that violence kind of channels into ourselves and explodes in horrible ways. So what you're saying is ice hockey keeps you guys leveled. It does, and I've heard that from more than one person. You get all that aggression out watching large men run into one another on ice skates. There was once uh, I talked to the lead singer of the Proto Men, which is a fantastic band, and he had, I said, oh, thanks for coming. He said, oh, we're really happy to be here, and you Canadians are really nice, except on the hockey rink. You're all nuts. Yes. I said, yeah, that's how, we, that's how we get our aggression out. You guys are animals in the hockey rink. Anyway, I would be totally okay with Taro Yoko getting more work in general, and yeah. that seems to be the case now that Niratamata has done extremely well. Which, in Taro Yoko, he's like, whatever, just give me money, I don't care, I'll totally do work for you. <laughs> My kind of guy. Yeah, he's very blunt in that regard, he's like, yeah, yeah, I got hired for this job, I don't know why, but they seem to like me, so I'm gonna do it. And here we go. I also like the, <laughs> yes, near Thomas sold, uh, sold like a million copies, I have no idea why, it's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that, uh, great. He's so... That's pretty funny. Such an interesting guy, there's so much going on there, Pre- Mm-hmm. maybe a little he strikes me as an extremely intelligent dude yeah who just has no filter whatsoever <laughs> i've interviewed him a couple times and he is blunt in a way that you just do not see in japan right that would be very interesting because as you say that's not something you see in in japanese developers at all no, actually, interviewing Japanese developers is a total pain because they're so well-drilled in PR speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're so used to speaking to the Japanese media and having the Japanese media ask very specific, prepared questions. Right. They're like, and now tell us about the graphics. Now tell us about the sound. Now tell us about the <laughs> interface. And they say, the interface will be excellent. We are going to do these things. Moving on. Like, they're not going to give you <laughs> any really interesting answers. Occasionally... If you see a guy who's kind of dressed up like a rock star and kind of interesting, you go, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. I'm going to get some interesting answers from this guy. Uh, the guy who runs um, Gung Ho Games. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Also, Suda51, they give good answers. Gung- is the guy who runs Gung Ho Games is like a rock star? Isn't that like the Puzzle and Dragons uh, That's the Puzzle company? and Dragons guy. When I met oh, him, I didn't know he, he was looked like, like a rock star. I didn't know he was a free spirit. Yeah, oh, totally a free spirit. Gamer. Very much a gamer. It is a fun game. That was actually... I did play Puzzle and Dragons for a very long time on mobile. It's the same over here, though. You you see the people who are quite obviously gamers and extremely... Wa- they want to talk to you. Like Ted mm-hmm. Price over at um, Insomniac, for example. They, they just... They love games. They have an investment in the hobby. They're going to talk to you. 
versus those are always the best interviews versus the people who are like i'm in it for the money i i'm an executive whatever i don't care this is just a job i'm just going to talk yeah. to you i'm not going to give you any particular insights or anything this is just boilerplate and then you go god damn it this is an interesting <laughs> you can always tell from the start too when it's going to be like a safe interview and when it's going to be an interesting one yeah okay moving on okay nadia by the time this podcast goes live, our review of the Xbox One X should be live on the site. A fact that will probably not be of interest at all to RPG fans. Yeah, Xbox has never been a very solid RPG machine, ever. I mean, I would disagree with that, actually. Back in the day, the Xbox was actually kind of a pioneer for RPGs. Like JR- I'm thinking JRPGs, sorry. Oh, yes, well, I know. <laughs> but RPGs. RPGs, RPGs. Also, yes. there are these other RPGs. You know what? I'm going to project in the new year. I want to get you playing some Western RPGs and see. Yeah, I really here. need to play. I need to make you play some Witcher Three, some Fallout. Uh, Definitely want to play Witcher Three. So no, no labor there. Some Mass Effect. Mass Effect is one I should probably get into. Fallout. I've, I've played quite a bit of Fallout. Not um, nearly as much as you, but I, I know enough about the world. God, I love Fallout, but. Well, you played Skyrim. I mean, it's basically Skyrim with guns. <laughs> <laughs> it is, basically. Yeah, for the most part. So, I'm mean, back in the day. Okay, let's let's rewind all the way back to 2001. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Microsoft had, they had jumped into PC gaming in the late 90s, especially around the time of Windows 95. Yeah, Windows 95. And they, they put out a bunch of games, put out a bunch of accessories, and... They were kind of viewed as a bit of a plague. (laughs) (laughs) People were not happy about their presence, no. No, absolutely not. Because they were always trying to force... uh, Because especially in circa 1995, everybody was used to DOS. So they really hated... They really hated having everything get shoehorned into Windows 95, which just didn't work very well, unfortunately. Yeah, I remember a big backlash against it. Yes, and so... And then they, they owned Ensemble, and they did Age of Empires and that kind of thing. And then they decided to get into the console space with the original Xbox, with Bill Gates. And there was quite a pushback against it uh, yes, from traditional definitely. console gamers because you had, on the one hand, gamers who had become accustomed to a certain approach to game design that had been informed by arcades, Mm-hmm. that had been informed by Sega, Nintendo, Sony. And all of a sudden, Microsoft was coming in here with a very PC-centric approach. Yep. Hard drive. That was the first instance, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I believe so. The And the Xbox, the original Xbox was built with off-the-shelf PC parts. Yep. Yep. It was a, quote, for the time, a high-end PC in a huge, ugly box. Oh, oh my God, was it God ugly. that thing was so ugly. <sighs> and that, that controller, the Duke, like, I had these little tiny hands, and I'm like, okay, I'm holding on to this humongous that controller that I can barely... Duke? It's called the Duke. You didn't know that? Yeah, the no. original is called the Duke. It was a joke. I, the first yeah. time I held that monster in my hands, it just made me so upset. <laughs> I was very upset. Me too. Like, I was just like, you know what? This is such a myopic console i was so angry about it and it was totally antithetical to the the japanese market very 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 the japanese market picked up that huge ass controller and went what (laughs) are you kidding me (laughs) i do not want your mountain dew fueled machine here not to mention like 
Japanese apartments generally don't have a lot of space. Like, who the hell has that the room for that big ass mm-hmm. box? Like, God, even like here, it was hard enough to find a place for it. Yeah, the comparison between the Xbox and the GameCube was just really telling. You had this huge monstrosity of a machine <laughs> with a hard drive and everything, and top of the line graphics, and then you had the GameCube, which was a lunchbox. Yeah, he said you could take it to a friend's house. The GameCube uh, also did not have a great RPG library, unfortunately. No, it didn't. Uh, it had a few. It had Batten Kaitos, and I never played that. I I hear, I've heard the music. It seems pretty good, but. At least in terms, of, I mean, Final Fantasy uh, Crystal Chronicles, right? But that Which was played. it was okay. But uh, just in terms of just the number of RPGs that came out, the PS2 pretty much dominated everything. Oh yeah, and the GBA, interestingly enough, yeah, the GBA has some good ones. The GBA definitely had some good ones, but the Xbox, the Xbox did not care about this thing. The Xbox did not no. care about your Japanese development for the most part. I mean, it, nope. It vacuumed up a few of the lost Dreamcast games that ultimately didn't make it out. And they came out like Jet Set Radio Future, I believe, mm-hmm. came out on the Xbox. There, there are a handful of others, Panzer Dragoon. I did like their Panzer Dragoon Ultra or Try. I can't remember which one it was, but that was a good game. I enjoyed that. Yeah, Panzer Dragoon Orta was, of course, the the shoot 'em up. Yeah. Uh, very short, but it was Panzer Dragoon. That turned exactly. a lot of the haters into believers. Yeah. Also, Halo. Uh, Halo is a small thing. Yeah, of course. Nothing's just a, just just a little bit. And so, yeah, uh, it's a shame that Panzer Dragoon's Saga never came out on the original Xbox because it would have been a pretty cool fit. Yeah, I would have. Um, I would have really liked to have it on there. But by that time, uh, Sega was definitely in a steep decline and mm-hmm. we started to see it with games like sonic heroes oh god yeah yeah was that on dreamcast i can't even remember if it made sonic it on heroes would not have been a dreamcast game this was no. a game that was on the gamecube yeah and i'm looking at the new uh, sonic forces now like listening to the their bad guy infinite Ooh. yeah and i'm just like oh my god this is the worst writing i've heard in ages sonic forces I think, is uh, real bad yeah, and I think the bad guy is voiced by the guy who does Kane Highwind. So I'm like, oh my god, this is like the best worst thing I've ever heard in my life. But the Xbox proved to be really uh, important in its own way for the RPG space because in basically creating a PC that was attached to console or mm-hmm. to a television, they made it extremely easy for PC developers to start moving their games over to console. Yeah, and that is very exactly accessible. what they did in 2002 with a little game called Morrowind. Mm, yeah, just a small one. Nothing big there. Morrowind was uh, a really important game on the Xbox. It, yeah, it was. I mean, first of all, nobody had really seen anything like it on console, right? Mm-hmm. First person game, huge world, mm-hmm. really just different approach. It was very much a PC RPG. It came from that lineage. It came from Bethesda. Yeah. It was JRPGs are descended from Dungeons and Dragons, but in a different way. This is yeah. This can trace its lineage directly back to the D and D campaigns that the Bethesda people used to play. Yeah, like roll up your own character sort of stuff. And it was awesome that Xbox was able to play this game that was also on the PC, and it looked pretty mm-hmm. much just as good. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is also Although around I'm the sure time that haters. people started to go, is PC doomed? 
What are we going to oh. do? The Xbox can do it just as well. Oh, my God. That was a time, wasn't it? Did not last long, thankfully. No. Uh, so Marwit reviewed extremely well, and mm-hmm. it was kind of the harbinger of things to come. And a year later, out comes Knights of the Old Republic. And that game, th- that was a big game. First yeah, of all, a for deal. a couple reasons. Maybe number one was, A, it was Star Wars and by Bioware. And one of Bioware's mm-hmm. finest games. Great story, great characters. It was a lot of consoles gamers' first introduction to that style of game. Yeah. Second reason, it was exclusive to Xbox at the start. Yeah, that's right. That was a big deal as well. Huge deal. So the fact that you couldn't play this thing on PS2 or GameCube, mm-hmm. instantly... Uh, so many of my friends, I, I don't know if this was the case for you, but so my friends picked up an Xbox just for KOTOR. No, I don't know too many of my friends who did that. I don't know too many people who had Xbox at all. I think the only person I knew, he was trying to show off to me how like it had a hard drive. And I was really impressed by, I can't remember what he was playing, it was probably Halo, just how he would shoot an enemy and it would stay on the ground. Like, of course, you would, do that, you would see that in games like Doom back on the PC, but that was not something you saw in console games because you had that information stored on the console now. I remember being so overwhelmed by the original Xbox controller. <laughs> I was like, yeah. too many buttons going on here. Like, what do I do with Halo? I had a really hard time controlling an FPS with a controller back then. I guess you would, yeah. See, I had never really gotten into the whole keyboard-mouse control scheme. Like, it's just not something I like. But so consoles getting shooters and stuff like that and RPGs, con- like kind of computer-based RPGs, that's a big deal for someone like me. And the Xbox, uh, so it's interesting that it wasn't a big deal on your end because, so I was in college at the time. The Xbox mm-hmm. came out right as I started college. Uh, I was in yeah. college a couple months when the GameCube and the Xbox came out. And the Xbox, Smash Brothers Melee was popular, but the Xbox right. was definitely the console of choice around campus. Um we had some friends who were in a fraternity mm-hmm. and like we knew someone who was dating someone in a fraternity and they would hold halo parties. Right. That was where they would network the consoles together and <laughs> play like nice. eight player halo or whatever. And that was crazy fun. I was so bad at it. Yeah. Oh my God. It was so frustrating to get, uh, to get stuck with a, a, a grenade or whatever, get killed and all that stuff. <laughs> Halo 2 was obviously a gigantic deal. Yeah. Uh, online play started to happen, but a lot of them picked up Halo after they picked it up for KOTOR. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that was the kind of the second wave. And KOTOR, yeah. like Morrowind, kind of marked the beginning of a sea change, and Bioware became heavily associated with the Xbox console, which yeah. was yeah. a big deal for Microsoft. Because they were not developing for PS uh, for PS2. No, yeah, that is that would have been like a, a pretty big steal. I do remember, um, I do remember Halo Two, the uh, the hype around that because I was working. So yes, the thing I think maybe why I missed the Xbox craze is because I did not really last long at college. To be honest with you, like I was married by that point, and um, I was out on my own. I didn't have money mm-hmm. for the Xbox, um, but I was working at. PetSmart, I just started like my whole dog groomer thing, and they were for some reason there was a big ass Halo launch event outside of PetSmart. 
<laughs> and there's a big guy dressed up as Master Chief and everything. So there's a picture of me somewhere with me and my husband, like giving the thumbs up beside Master Chief. I was a Nintendo apologist to my core at that time. So every year was, nope, Nintendo's going to turn it around. This is the year. GameCube's <laughs> going to turn it around. This is it. We're going to do it. Totally ignoring stuff like the trend Don't toward online believing. play, the where Nintendo, how weird Nintendo had gotten, the fact that third-party games were starting to dry up a bit on the GameCube, etc. Yeah, and it's actually another point that Microsoft really changed things as well is uh, online play. Like mm-hmm. J- Japan did not take that seriously. Uh, Sony achievements. Did. I mean, Sony had SOCOM. So, yeah, stuff, but but Microsoft really kind of got into it. Like Nintendo, of course, was very online adverse. Probably still are. I guess you consider yep. um, they kind of pioneered achievements they did a lot of things that i guess japan hadn't really considered no that was the 360 the original xbox uh the only game i wanted on it besides kotor was ninja gaiden yeah that there was that's right that's i think that's what i saw my friend play that time that looked pretty violent (laughs) but uh, pretty exciting too it was so beautiful yeah time and yeah really hard (laughs) yeah It, it was brutal but you felt so good playing it Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never finished it though. Uh, uh, years later, I got an ninja, uh, PS3 and it got HD, an HD remake, but I ultimately never picked it up. Which uh, maybe I should someday. I do have an Xbox, and I can get Ninja Gaiden Black through the Xbox 360 backwards compatibility. But I digress. I did play one of the uh, Dead or Alive games, um, which I liked on the Xbox. Oh, Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball or the or- original? Oh, Dead God or Alive? no. They're the one where they actually fight <laughs> and don't, like, hit balls. Extreme Beach boobies. Volleyball was a guilty pleasure of mine <laughs> in college. Was it any good? Oh, hell no. <laughs> but it did have uh, anime girls who were just chilling out, and you could rotate the camera and That's any way enough. that you wanted and feed them strawberries. <laughs> it is what it is, I suppose. It is what it is. But I I ultimately never got an Xbox. I never owned an Xbox at any we point. We never owned one either. Um, I think we rented it several times because my husband was working at Blockbuster uh, at the time. So we just kind of got the, ca- the console over and over again. When I got a little more money, I ultimately picked up a PS2. And it was mm-hmm. the PS2 that became kind of my console of choice. And I played all of the games on that. Yeah. And my GameCube was also there, I suppose. <laughs> I had I played if you Resident want to play Evil Metroid 5. Prime. It was a great game. Oh no, don't get me wrong. I liked my I liked my GameCube a lot, but the PS2 yeah. ultimately kind of took over in my life, especially once I moved over to Japan. Well, yeah. right before I moved over to Japan, the Xbox 360 comes out. And I I remember just like going, I I don't see the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember the first time I saw the 360, I was at some game store in toronto and this guy was playing it and i said her hair is clipping through her shoulder <laughs> he was playing dead or alive something he's like yeah it's uh it's not that great so it took a while to warm up to people over at the local best buy they had two kiosks going it was almost like a living room setup mm-hmm. and on the right was a ps2 with a wireless controller where you could play soul Calibur 3 and on the left was an xbox 360 with nba live mm-hmm and I was looking between them. I was like, Soul Calibur looks better. 
in my yeah. opinion. I didn't really understand what high definition TV brought to the table over yeah. CRTV. The difference wasn't immediately noticeable to me. Yeah. I played Battlefield 2, but mm-hmm. I moved to Japan where the Xbox 360 was non-existent. <laughs> it wasn't even a, a, a name on the wind, was it? It might as well have not been there. And wow. obviously That's I was monitoring what was happening. I listened right. to One Up Yours at that time. Uh, I was following the, the PS3 and the PS3's struggles, which mm. I was going, well, it'll, once the PS3 starts getting its... I, I'm going to get a PS3 because that's where the RPGs are going to go. That's where the JRPGs are going to go ultimately. But we all know what happened with the PS3. The Xbox yeah. 360 kind of owned the last console generation. I mean, the Wii was its own thing. It sold yeah. ridiculously well. And it was definitely part of the zeitgeist in a way that even the Xbox 360 wasn't. But in terms of traditional yeah. core gaming, the Xbox 360 was the console of choice. Did you have an Xbox 360, Nadia? We did. Um, it eventually red-ringed, of course. Of course. Uh, and then we got another one, and that red-ringed. And I don't think we have an Xbox 360 anymore, but we do have the Xbox One. The thing that people don't remember was that out of the gate, Microsoft did actually make a huge push, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, to try and get the Japanese audience in a way that they yep. simply did not. They got yep. a lot of exclusives for Japan. They had uh, Dead or Alive, and yep. they had uh, they they had an initial run of RPGs that were exclusive they did. to the 360, including yeah. the Crown Jewel which was Tales of Vesperia. Yeah, and um, Blue Dragon. what was the one with the crazy-ass piano guy? Crazy, oh, uh, um, God, what was it called? It was about the guy who died of tuberculosis. I know exactly and made, what you're talking about. Yeah, Eternal Sonata, was that it? That's the one, yes. Yeah, and Blue Dragon, which was a real weird game. Is it about Chopin? God. Yes, anyway, but, he dies of tuberculosis, yeah. and it's in his chronically boring final like journey through it. <laughs> An admittedly beautiful world. It is beautiful. <laughs> Music's great, of course, but everyone talks like an asshole. And it was just like, I'm like, am I supposed to take this seriously or not? Everybody talks like an asshole. They but, do. I mean, they got Mistwalker. That was a big get. Um, That's Unfortunately true. for them, the first thing that Sakaguchi decided to do was make a kind of, uh, I don't know, Dragon Ball or Dragon Quest looking kind of game, which yeah. did not have immediate crossover appeal in America. And it didn't really catch on in Japan because Japan just wasn't going to buy an Xbox 360. (laughs) There was just no way about it. No two ways about it. (laughs) They were not interested, especially since the, uh, let's face it, the Xbox 360's first run, its hardware was so shoddy. It really was. And within like a year, the Xbox 360 was really just having major technical problems i went through like three of those things yeah my brother went through like four it was ridiculous people were like oh the jasper chipset will fix everything i had an xbox 360 slim die on me in 2013 did you really yeah the hard drive just went completely (laughs) kaput (laughs) oh my god that's what happens with piece with with off-the-shelf pc parts yeah they're not built to last no, I think it was, I don't know if it was the gaming historian, someone had like a really good retrospective on what went wrong and, and everything like that. And it was a really interesting thing to watch. But yeah, it was just, they they worked so hard to get it out the door too fast. And just everything was so shoddy and ugh, it's, it was a disaster. So some of the Xbox 360 RPGs that ultimately came out, 
uh, Lost Odyssey. Oh, geez. I don't even remember that. Uh, that was the one that was by Sakaguchi. And it's basically, you should play it, Nadia. There, it has a, a substantial following for the most part. Mm-hmm. And the it thing does that, sound familiar. The thing that stood out was, I mean, it was basically Sakaguchi's take on a different kind of Final Fantasy. Like, it was Final Fantasy thirteen if he had had a chance to make it. Right. <laughs> so a good Final Fantasy thirteen. Uh, there, A lot of people say it's kind of slow. Mm-hmm. He got a famous Japanese writer to write these short stories. Right. Because it's about a guy who's had, like, multiple lifetimes. And so you're mm-hmm. seeing the multiple lifetimes. But you're not seeing them in cutscenes. You're not interacting with them. It's non-interactive, just text on the screen kind of thing. Oh, uh, like a good old Xenogears. Yes. But I think that of all the Xbox 360 RPGs you might have missed, Nadia, that's the one that you should probably pick up. Is it on, like, uh, has it been, like, remastered or re-released or anything like that? No. That's too bad. It's been (laughs) kind of lost to time, sadly. It's a lost odyssey. (laughs) It got kind of middling reviews at the time, ultimately got a cult audience. Mm -hmm. And then also there was Last Remnant, which was given to kind of the C team over at Square Enix. Uh, Major technical (laughs) problems, very weird game. It was Mm -hmm. ugly. Yeah, I remember that one. Came out on the Unreal Engine. That was Square Enix going, oh, let's experiment with this Unreal Engine thing. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. The bombshell, the huge bombshell, and you'll probably remember this, 2010, or just saying 2009, Xbox 360 gets Final Fantasy 13. That was, everyone lost their fucking shit over that, and I was just over here like, yeah, let me tell you about 1995, when Square Enix first announced that they were going over to Sony. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you all about my history here. But yeah, that, so that was, a, that was an interesting time. It was definitely an interesting time because, I mean, obviously the PS3 was not doing well at that time. No. And Final Fantasy XIII was seen as kind of one of its killer apps. Mm -hmm. Definitely one of the games that tied it back to its heyday as the console. And Xbox 360 was eating its lunch in terms of exclusives. Yeah. I mean, it had the hot exclusive of that generation to start, which is Gears of War. Yeah, and um, even the like the really huge games uh, that they ported over to PS3, like Skyrim, the port was terrible. Oh, for the PS3, god awful. Yes, um, yeah, both Skyrim and Oblivion. Ultimately, that's right. Yeah, and Oblivion didn't come out until a couple years later. Yeah, which was like okay, thanks. Yeah, it wasn't great, uh, and it PS- was like. Was it a launch title for the E360 Oblivion, or it was close to? The- it wasn't a launch title, but it came out in early 2006. Yeah, so that was a big deal. It was a pretty big deal. Uh, the Xbox 360 did not have a ton of games for it at that time. A lot of people subsisted mm-hmm. on Battlefront, Battle, or sorry, Call of Duty, Call of Duty Two, and Geometry Wars, and then which is pretty good. <laughs> and then out comes Oblivion in early 2006, and yeah. that's the game. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the game that I feel like everybody really got into Elder Scrolls. Yeah, with. yeah. And the Xbox 360 was a primary platform for third-party games because it had the best interface, it had mm-hmm. achievements, it had a really good online plan. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't yes. free, but it was so much better. That's where everybody's friends were. It's where all the yep. games were coming out. You're getting, and the pendulum had definitely shifted at that time to PC RPGs, specifically Mass Effect, Fallout, uh, Oblivion, those kinds of games. And people mm-hmm. were really into them. 
And where were we going to find them? We're going to find them on PC or Xbox 360. Yeah, basically. PS3 was... Um, PS3 also had a very rough start because of that whole 599 US dollar debacle. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. So we're going to want to have two jobs to have one. But it didn't have the uh, games was the problem. No, no, it really didn't. Like, I think people will dish out if the games were there, but the games weren't there. Yeah, I was like, they were trying to put out Killzone 2 as a killer app. <laughs> Yeah, Player, which problem. killed Factor Five. <laughs> oh man, so many of the games were really like nobody could get their minds around the cell processor, so everything was really slow or kind of ugly. Mm-hmm. It just didn't compare to the 360. Uh, it, it was remarkable, and and a lot of the games from Japan that were coming out on it were gorgeous. Lost Odyssey, yeah. gorgeous. Tales of Vesperia, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, a lot of Japanese developers were staying on the PS2. Yeah, that's right. That, that system hung in there for a long time. Persona 4 came out in 2008, three yep. years after the release of the Xbox 360. Yep, yep, that's right. Uh, I mean, over in Japan, PS2 was still getting games well into 2009. Uh, mm. On my end, I was still buying new games, mostly from Bandai Namco and that kind of thing, but... Like games would come out on the PS2 and the Wii. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was funny, and that was a really interesting. That was like a, a pretty easy transfer going from the Wii to the PS2 and back and forth because mm-hmm. they were kind of comparable power. And when Japanese developers finally moved over to the PS3, the games often weren't either weren't very good or pretty ugly. Yeah, because I hear Japan had a really hard time kind of adapting to uh, HD development in general. I mean, the dramatic rise in resource costs. The yeah. The fact that Western developers definitely leveled up and got a lot better and started to take a lot of preeminence and really understood the tech in a way that the Japanese kind of struggled with. And mm-hmm. I mean, that was the the giant sea change. And you've seen now a lot of Japanese studios have managed to slim down, become almost like high, high level indie kind of developers and yeah. have come to grasp the tech and really compete in a lot of ways with western developers again uh the which is good it's not exactly the renaissance of the the ps2 era but they're 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 doing a lot of cool and interesting things i mean the fact it's that, looking a it's looking a lot better now than it did like mm-hmm. even five six years ago there was a time there when it was really grim for uh japanese developers i mean the fact that we're looking at this year and Many of the best games are from Nintendo, a Japanese developer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or uh, Square Enix, Nier Automata, mm-hmm. or Persona 5. Like, kind of tells you that everything you need to know right there. Exactly. But, yeah, so the 360, it had a lot of good RPGs, a lot of big-budget Western RPGs. And after a while, the PS3 started to host a lot more Japanese niche Japanese games. But for the most part... And toward the end of its life cycle, especially the PS3 got a lot more Japanese exclusives and Mm -hmm. the Japanese games on the 360 very much dried up. But there was a period from 2005 to about 2010 where the 360 was getting everything from Japan and really just biting into what the PS3's kind of preeminence was. Mm -hmm. And then everything flipped this the beginning of this gen- generation. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, there, there's no, I guess, nothing certain except death or taxes, as they say. That's for sure. <laughs> the Sony lot learned all their lessons mm-hmm. from the Xbox period. 
and Microsoft made a, basically they were betting that the Xbox could do what Amazon Echo is doing now. <laughs> yeah. That's it a called? good way of putting it. It's it. the, the, the stupid little voice Alexa. Yeah, that's yes. right. I'm thinking, you're thinking of Google, I think, has the Echo. I don't remember. No, no, we call it Echo. My friends have one of those stupid things, and they call it... What do they it, do? They, they have it attached to their lights, so it'll oh. it'll dim the lights. That's uh, right, so you, you tell it to do things. You can talk at it and be like, what is... Uh, what years were the Civil War or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And I'll delve into Wikipedia or something and look it up. Uh, you can ask it to buy thing. You can bu- buy things with it. I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask it for recipes. No, oh, so it's cool, I guess. Maybe at so like I don't even use Siri on my phone, so no, neither do I. Except to like swear at it and see what it says. But um, <laughs> I can see what you mean by the Xbox One, uh, because yeah, they were trying to make it so like they were really trying to integrate Connect into it, so that you could kind of give those voice commands everywhere. Like my husband uses Connect uh, for his Xbox. To be honest with you, really? Yeah, let me see if it works. Xbox on. There, it turned on. <laughs> <laughs> I unhooked my Connect literally the second that I could. <laughs> yeah, good choice. I mean, they were just, they were trying to, everything about what they were trying to do with the Xbox One was so kind of ridiculously backward. I mean, first of all, making everything online only. Yeah. Ouch. That just was a real immediately owie. got them off on the wrong foot. And this idea yeah. that you wouldn't be able to play discs uh, yeah. Unless you were connected to the internet, uh, or you couldn't play them on other people's Xboxes, and they were taunting this almost like it was a good thing. Yeah, it was a very tone deaf debut for the system. Oh, it was a total disaster, and it set yeah. them back terribly. It did. It, they never recovered from that, I think. No, and not only that, but they made a big deal out of the Xbox plugging into your TV right at the time when everybody was cord cutting. Yeah. <laughs> that's right nobody gave a damn that it could be connected to the tv the people were buying it like i don't even have it connected to my cable box i don't want my i don't want to watch tv through my xbox my husband does that too he's some sort of weirdo i think but yeah he watches <laughs> uh, the tv through the xbox that's how he watches wwe network he has a whole thing going on i, I guess no it idea. was kind of cool that you could switch it over or something but i just the bells and whistles frankly confused me and yeah i never turned the stupid thing on Except when I just say Xbox on and it turns on like I did that time. Uh, congratulations. You, th- that was the thing that you did. More often than not, I hear him go Xbox on, Xbox on, 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 <laughs> because the stupid thing won't pick up his voice. And the worst thing for the Xbox is that the PS4 ended up selling pretty well over in Japan, ultimately. Yep. And now all the games are coming out for the PS4 and not the Xbox. Because the Xbox yep. never got a foothold in Japan. And let's not oversell Japan's importance here. It's not yeah. that important, ultimately, in this generation, but it's important enough. It's one more it, edge yeah. that the PS4 has over Xbox. And last generation, the Xbox 360 was at the forefront, seemingly, of everything. They had all the best exclusives. They had all the RPGs. They were cutting mm-hmm. big into the PS3, and now it's completely the opposite. PS4 has all the best exclusives. They have all the Japanese games. They have all the RPGs. If uh, Unless you want something very specific or you just don't care, if you're the kind of person mm-hmm. who's like... So, for example, uh, as I may have mentioned on this, on this podcast, I'm in a... Um, or I was in a Madden League. I'm not in it this year. 
uh, and that was a 360 league. And so everybody just automatically bought an Xbox One. When the, yeah. When the when it came time to switch over, everybody moved to Xbox One because that was what they were used to. And I was so mad at them because <laughs> I was like, I want to play on the PS4, guys. The PS4 is a better console than the Xbox One. It's more technically capable. I almost never turn on my Xbox unless I have to. And they're like, yeah. nope, we're moving over to the Xbox. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> now it's not so bad because I have an Xbox One X, so... I mean, games like uh, Fallout 4 came out on the Xbox, but and the Xbox One actually got a... The Xbox One actually did get one decent exclusive. It got mods for Fallout 4. Yeah, yeah. And that is one area where Sony is really being a jerk. They won't let any sort of like mods, like not just with uh, Fallout, but also... Um, I think Minecraft, I don't know if it's like mm. really as easy mm-hmm. as it is on the PC, and it's definitely not as thorough, but you can mod games, uh, Minecraft for uh, Xbox, and uh, uh, with uh, PS4, I think your choices are go to hell. The Xbox, uh, I'll give Microsoft credit for this. They've managed to do some actually pretty smart things. They've reversed course really thoroughly from the mistakes they, that did. they made. Yeah, they stopped, and they, they made everything as well as they could, but th- I guess they linger. The Xbox One X is a handsome piece of kit. That's, that's, yeah. There's absolutely no denying that. And it has a lot of games on it. It has lots of pretty solid third-party games, uh, especially your typical AAAs. It has a handful of really cool indies, uh, most especially Cuphead. Man, yeah, Cuphead was a big win for them. Oh, God. I can't, I can't believe how beautiful that game is. Easily the most beautiful game of this year. But Oh, yeah. And... Uh, it has some cool things like the Xbox 360 backward compatibility program. Yeah. The fact That's that I can import all of my old Xbox Live games now. So I got like Castle Crashers on my Xbox One. Oh, that's a retro. Hard to think about it now as retro, but it is. The fact that they you can sign up for the program that will give you access to all of these different games for a, a, a regular subscription. Uh, they've been pretty smart in a lot of ways, but... In the end, Nadia, it's the games. <laughs> it's always the games, yeah. And I think the Switch has been the biggest proof of that this year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the X- the Switch has just, comparatively speaking, gotten a deluge of really good indies. And, and on top of Nintendo's games, on top of various ports. And next year is going to yep. be crazy, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure we're going to see tons of games in the next couple of years. Yeah, and I think we're going to hear a lot about uh, ports from PS4 coming over to Switch as well. God, I hope not, because the PS4, the, let's be honest, uh, Switch, PS4 ports of the Switch are a little dicey. Yeah, they definitely are. I mean, what is it you were playing, FIFA? Uh, well, FIFA's, FIFA's weird, because it's the beginning of the generation version, and mm-hmm. I don't know. All I know is that I have an Xbox One X, I got a lot of games, they gave me a lot of games to download and not, and there was exactly one RPG in them, and that was Destiny 2. I don't know. I know my husband got a, a review in it as well. I don't know if he got Destiny 2, but uh, that's a that's a pretty good one to include, I suppose. <laughs> Final Fantasy 15 is maybe the only game that you're going to kind of go, yeah, and oh, look, there's a Japanese game. <laughs> that was multi-platform. <laughs> yeah. I've always, I, I always forget that Final Fantasy 15 actually came out on the Xbox One X. But Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, too. And I think it had some problems being uh, ported over. Was, did it? I think so. I could have sworn there was some sort of kerfuffle. I mean, isn't there always? <laughs> There's always a kerfuffle. 
I mean, eh, Final Fantasy 15, hey, it looks really good in 4K HDR. Oh, that's good to know. I don't have a 4K TV. The main benefit of, okay, I, I was talking about this elsewhere, but it's so annoying to calibrate your TV to HDR. You have to mm-hmm. really go online and look for resources on how to calibrate it, or else it'll just look like a dark, muddy mess. Yeah. But once you do, the main benefit is there's a slightly slightly better resolution. You, you can kind of see it. It's hard. You, you can't yeah. necessarily tell. If you squint, you can kind of see it. The main benefit is the contrasts in HDR are mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. It's the main benefit is the skybox. When you look at you look up into the sky and you see the massive contrast like how bright a moon will look right. or how amazing a storm will look or how nuanced and interesting the clouds will look. Colors pop up in a lot mm-hmm. in really good great ways and you can see the blacks versus the the reds, right? And yeah. everything sort of looks a little flat when you're not playing with 4K HDR turned on. Yeah, so that's good to know because like, looking at it just like quickly side by side, I don't see a huge difference, but uh not immediate, no. Not it's yeah. not a $600, it's not a $500 difference. I'm going to say that much. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Although they're getting cheaper all the time. What I think is really unfortunate, people are going to say, well, you know, RPGs, they're kind of a niche appeal, that kind of thing. Well, I would say that they are not niche, and they're one of the reasons that it's important to have really good, high-quality, popular RPGs on your system is because they engage people for a very long time. They, mm-hmm. They'll they get somebody playing for like 100 hours, and one of the reasons that open-world games have become so popular is because the idea is that you're supposed to be playing for a very long period of time. Well, that's what RPGs do, too. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, let's be fair, RPGs have been selling a lot quite well recently i mean look at mm. persona uh, 5 sold in the millions uh, of course mm. we just talked about near automata which sold uh again in the millions so they're getting up there there's not really so much they're not as niche as they used to be but if you do get an xbox which i mean if you're an rpg fan uh okay maybe you should just get a pc high-end pc instead but <laughs> you could probably get a high a decent high-end pc for a hundred bucks more yeah i guess so uh, i think my next computer is going to be a, a decent uh gaming pc and you can work on it too though it's more annoying because finding a place to put it yeah there's that isn't there my sister i was my sister was talking about getting a new laptop and i was like just get a high-end just get a desktop and you Mm -hmm. you'll get it just you'll you'll probably spend less than you would for a laptop and it'll last longer and she goes i have nowhere to put it and i'm like oh (laughs) that's a good point does she live in san francisco too oh heck no she lives back in minneapolis so but she she's lives with friends you know she's got roommates so right so there's not much space she doesn't i I think she probably she has her room and she doesn't Mm -hmm. have enough room to set up a desk or anything so yeah so yeah that's definitely something to consider as well definitely a problem but uh two games to consider if you get or three games three rpgs to consider if you get an xbox one which are three yep no you can get that on other every other con- platform as well, but I mean, yeah. it looks real. It's gonna look real good, dang good, on the Xbox <laughs> One X once the uh, once the updates start coming out. Yep. Uh, Path of Exile. That is a, a Diablo style game with this mm-hmm. really crazy complex uh, skill tree and everything has really taken off on the Xbox. Right. 
And Microsoft has started grabbing up these exclusives like PUBG and Path of Exile. And that is a thing to watch, actually. Uh, It's pretty smart on their part. I think PUBG is a good get for them. It is. And I don't think it's going to like make them catapult to number one this console generation, but it does show that they're learning some lessons from this screw up that they've had. And of course Final Fantasy fifteen and fear into that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh that oh, yeah, Type Zero came out for it as well. I never played Type Zero. It looked a little uh odd to me. It is a little odd because I mean they lifted a Vita game or a PSP mm-hmm. game. They updated oh, a PSP game and put it on PS4 and Xbox One. <laughs> I bet that looks fantastic. Oh, everybody was thrilled to have it. I kind of wanted it on the Vita more. Yeah. If they put it at the Switch, I would buy it in a heartbeat. Yeah. That's the kind of game you want to be playing in handheld mode on Switch. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, did you know handheld mode is more popular than the TV mode? Yeah, I heard it's, uh, I think TV mode is something like 12% uh, and handheld's like 30% or more Yep. in terms of how, how many people play it. I'm not surprised. I really go back and forth between the two a lot, but... When I want to play my Switch, I grab it and I go sit in my office on my couch. And mm-hmm. that's where I play it. Next to a window with a cup of tea. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the new uh, Xenoblade mm. and playing that portable. Yes, you're going to be reviewing it for us. Yeah. Very exciting. You're here to hear first, here to hear first folks. <laughs> All right. So Xbox One X review, if you're interested, go check out the site. And we're going to go move on to our Final Fantasy IX report. This is the seventh Final Fantasy IX report. What's happening in the story? <laughs> so last time, let's say last time we finished up right at the World Tree, and yeah. you had met Aiko for the first time. We talked yep. about various other things. What has happened since then? Well, I went down to the tree, which, by the way, is one of my favorite dungeons uh, in a Final Fantasy game. It actually reminds me a lot of the uh, City of Ancients in Final Fantasy VII, which is another one of my favorite locales. Okay, we're going to talk Final about Fantasy. that in a bit, but continue. Yeah. So I went down the tree and I beat this monster called, I think it was called the Soul Cage. And it was the source of the mist, apparently. And uh, I beat it and I turned off the mist. Uh, although before I beat it, it said some cryptic stuff about how the mist causes wars because it basically inflames passions. And I think I saw somewhere that uh, the mist also causes monsters and it causes souls to wander. Um, I didn't get that part too well. But the point is, <laughs> I uh, beat him, and I met up with, uh, what's his name, Ara- Amaranth, Amar- the, the weird-ass looking guy. Red-haired man. The red-haired dude. I, uh, and then uh, Queen uh, Bronn, Bronn Hay, however her name is pronounced. Queen Bronn. Queen Bronn, yep. She uh, went up against Kuja with one of her Eidolons. And that she extracted from Garnet. And uh, that went badly for her because basically uh, she had summoned Bahamut, who was, of course, like the king of Idolans, basically. And he, uh, Kuja, did something to, to turn Bahamut against her. So Bahamut basically unleashed a mega flare in her face. And that went about as well as you can expect did for her. Did kill her? She dead It now? killed her. She is dead. She actually washed up on the beach with Garnet and uh, the rest of the party, and she apologized for being a jerk. 
uh, and then it becomes uh, apparent that uh, Garnet has to go home and ascend on the, to the throne of Alexandria. So she goes home. Uh, Zidane sulks about, you know, oh, now we, you know, I'm in love with her, but she's a princess and I'm a, I'm a thief. This will never work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then uh, when everything looks like it's going to be hunky-dory, Kuja comes back and unleashes Bahamut on Alexandria, except Alexandria, true to its name, kind of hides the Esper Alexander, who is, of course, always been a big-ass city, <laughs> except this time with wings. So they fight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, about Bahamut and Alexandra, and that was a pretty good, pretty good uh, cutscene right there. Um, as I recall, I'm trying to think now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Alexander loses, but uh, this whole city is basically destroyed. Um, although there was, I think Bahamut also gets destroyed in the process. I'm trying to remember. I just, uh, I think the, the ship that was controlling, basically Kuja's master turned on Kuja and made Bahamut turn on him. <laughs> so that was a bit confusing. But the point is, Alexandria is gone. Uh, or at least, like, demolished. Uh, I think they're trying to rebuild now. Uh, Kuja, uh... What a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk, man. But yet, uh, I and basically you saw had... kind of a mysterious airship with a, uh, with a laser button, with a laser bee, frickin' laser Yeah, yeah, the Invincible. Man. It was called the Invincible, because I'm like, wow, that's a... I've heard that name before. I know I have. Uh, but, um, Kuja, even though he's been abandoned by his master, I suppose, he's, uh, kind of trapped Zidane in the party and said, okay, you have to get something for me. It's on the Lost Continent. So that's where I am now. And he can't go because apparently he's it, it steals magic or something. Oh, and speaking of, uh, uh, Garnet lost her voice out of the whole trauma of seeing her kingdom get destroyed. So yeah, I am on this continent looking for stuff. It's kind of a all-over-the-place summary because I've been playing quite a bit. So, And even though I kind of wrote down what happened, I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad at relaying it. You are about 75% done, Nadia. Wow. Yeah, you're really making progress through Final Fantasy IX. Yeah, apparently so. It's not. I guess it's not an extremely long game. I'm so used to RPGs being like 100 hours now. Next thing you know, we're going to have to uh, we're gonna have to find another game. <laughs> <laughs> PUBG. But yeah, I do. I am going to play PUBG when it comes out on the Xbox. Yeah, uh, there we go. It's like an RPG-ish. Like ish Battle Royale. Royale. All right, let's start by talking about the fact that you are a huge fan of the Tree Dungeon and you compared it to the Temple of Ancients. Um, first of all, where do you see the comparisons and why do you like those te- those dungeons in particular? Not so much the, the Temple of Ancients, which is different from the City of Ancients. Um, My apologies. <laughs> that's okay, I forgive you. Um, the City of Ancients has a very creepy vibe, it has a really fantastic soundtrack, a really fantastic song i guess you could call it um and actually it's funny the tree it like the city of ancients it's actually quite a small area there's not too many enemies there but just the atmosphere and the music go to get, go very well together uh so that's really what i enjoy most about it not the layout yeah uh, you're going more for the atmosphere and that kind of thing yeah yeah definitely layout is well it's a, it's a tree there's not <laughs> you can't really go too many places although the roots do kind of spread out I think I said once uh, Chrono Trigger had my favorite RPG dungeons. Which one? Chrono the, Trigger uh, did. Oh, which uh, dungeon in particular? All of them. Okay, that's fair. Because they that's are all answer. different and interesting and varied. And they weren't hamstrung by the fact that the characters couldn't appear on the screen. 
or the characters could yeah. appear on the screen. So yeah. that automatically made them much more dynamic and much more interesting and made the puzzles more fun as well. Yeah, I always liked how the uh, Black Omen is essentially the Ocean Palace, just more. Yes, exactly. Whereas latter-day Final Fantasies in particular, it became kind of pretty scenery, but not much else. <laughs> yeah, not as interesting. It's still kind of the same with Final Fantasy IX, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. So, I mean, yeah, unless, that's probably unless, why... uh, unless you think I'm wrong. <laughs> No, I'm just thinking back on that, and I, I think you're right. Uh, maybe that's even why the tree really stuck out to me, because it was so different, so mm-hmm. unusual. Mm-hmm. I mean, were but there a even... lot of interesting puzzles and that kind of thing in there? No, I guess it was just the atmosphere, as I said. Um, you're right in that Final Fantasy IX uh, doesn't really put an emphasis on dungeon exploration or puzzles and stuff like that. It is a pretty straightforward game in terms of uh, its dungeons. Yeah, it definitely follows the gauntlet model, which is the same yeah. as, not gauntlet, the game. Like, you just try to survive. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, that can be a little bit hard because, again, the backgrounds are... It, it can be difficult to, ter- to tell where you can go and where you can't go. As for my favorite Final Fantasy, latter-day Final Fantasy dungeon, I mean, I think it's still Ultimecia's Castle from Final Fantasy VIII. Is that a Lunatic Pandora, I think it was called? No, Lunatic Pandora is before that. Okay. Ultimate is Castle, it's its own thing. Yeah. Uh, and, I don't And I am a huge fan of it just because I liked the whole idea of losing your powers and either mm-hmm. being able to take on the final boss without getting any of your powers back. You could get as many of your powers back as you wanted by fighting the right. different bosses. I thought that was pretty neat. That's a good idea. Also, and great actually, music. Great music. Yeah. That I, that I know. That I remember. But I do know Chrono Trigger has something similar with the, uh, the, black, uh, the Blackbird where you can get some of your stuff back and some I think you can leave. Well, let's talk about let's talk about Kuja's attack on Alexandria. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um I mean, we've already praised the cutscenes high and low, but once again, another amazing cutscene. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. Uh one thing I really don't like about latter day Final Fantasy games is that they make Bahamut look stupider and stupider. Mm. But he's just a very basic, very good design, very deadly looking in Final Fantasy Nine. A phenomenal looking murder dragon. Oh yeah. It looks it looks really amazing doing the murder uh the murder the murder flare. <laughs> Which it, it, that's not. That, to be fair, that's a very apt name for it. Murder. Fire. I always liked him. It was just Mega Nuke. That just says it all right there. Uh, it was always so satisfying calling out Bahamut yeah. and all of the PlayStation or Final Fantasies because you know that Mega Flare was always going to do insane amounts of damage, and you're like, yes, this is going to be great. <laughs> I loved it in Seven when he just got six wings in the Bahamut Zero farm. Yeah, there was Bahamut Neo, Bahamut, and Bahamut Zero, right? Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Having uh, the the scenes of Aiko and Garnett coming together. Yeah, that's right. That happened. That was really cool. I, I really liked that in the cutscene as well. Yeah, and that's one thing they revealed, actually. I forgot to go over in my really rambling uh, summary there. Um, uh, Garnet is from the same place, the same village that uh, Aiko was from. So she was also a summoner. But uh, when she went over the sea with her mother like to escape something, I haven't, they haven't really determined what it was yet. But um, they escaped their, the village. That's right. There was a hurricane or something. They landed in Alexandria, and uh, the king and queen adopted her, uh, but they broke off her horn because apparently she had one. So that would explain why she has access to summons early in the game, but can't really do anything about them. 
our powers combined, we were going to get Alexandria. And they did. And Alexandria totally shielded uh, from Bahamut's Mega Flare. Unfortunately, the Invincible came in and screwed everything up. (laughs) Yeah. Was it the Invincible that shot down Bahamut? Because I'm just remembering in the scene, there was a scene where, like, Bahamut starts, like, where he realizes, oh, God, I'm screwed. And he starts trying to fly away, but he can't make it. <laughs> I just remember the the, the, the freaking laser beam that came down from the bottom of the Invincible. That might have been it. That might have been what caused him to run. Yes. And meanwhile, our heroes also have an airship. Do they? I'm trying to think where they are they now. Got it. Um, they got the airship from Lindblom, the Hildegard One. I, I don't think I've gotten that yet. Really? Because no, what you, would, you would need it to get to the Desert Palace. Oh, okay. Sorry. I do have it, but I can't control it yet. You can't control it yet. Gotcha. Yeah, but you've been on yeah. it. I have been on it. Yep. Okay. And I did have a, a seafaring ship there for a while. Yeah. You, you go on all kinds of different transport. Yeah. It reminds me of Final Fantasy IV randomly having a hovercraft. <laughs> yeah. Final Fantasy IV, by the end of the game, you have all these, like, just these airships littered around the map. Oh, Free God. You definitely taking. did. You had the, the hovercraft and the regular airship. Uh, Sid's airship and then eventually the lunar whale and all that the stuff. The lunar whale and there's like a different ship that has a hook and a one that has like a drill on it. It was ridiculous. I always thought the airships were cool because the first time you really see airships I mean, you get an airship in Final Fantasy 1, right? Yeah. And there are also the airships in Final Fan- uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. I always love those. Those are great. And at least when I was little I always imagined wanting a- an airship from Super Mario Brothers 3. Except for they, uh, they always looked like they were like kind of falling apart. They did. I always found that a little strange, which is why <laughs> yeah. I wanted the first one, which was a lot more conventional. Yeah, yeah. As I opposed knew what it to was. a bunch of independent parts that were held together by string or something like that. I think my brother used to make fun of it, saying, "Hey, he got these. Uh, he got these airships at Honest Ed's because <laughs> they sell like notoriously cheap junk there, or they used to." Such a Toronto reference. Um, yep. <laughs> but. Of all the airships, I'm curious, which airship is your favorite? I always liked the High Wind and Seven. Mm. I just love the fact it has a chocobo stable in there. That's fantastic. And in a cut scene, uh, I think Tifa and Cloud are supposed to throw it to each other in there in that chocobo stable, and they, they got rid of that scene. I thought the airship in Final Fantasy VI was pretty rad. I love the six t- I loved uh, Six's sh- airship, too. The Falcon or the Blackjack? I I mean, they're kind of the same, right? <laughs> More or less. Although I do love how the the the, the subquest to get the the airship in six, where you go into Daryl's tomb, that was great. I love that. And I, I love the lunar whale. The whale was a lot of fun. You know, I had no idea for for years and years and years and years that they have like sleeping pods in there. They they have sleeping pods. I didn't know that. Yeah, like there's a little lower area in the ship where the the fat chocobo is, and if you there's like these little pods there, and if you talk to the pods, that you can sleep in them. I had no idea. Oh, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I like the the Ragnarok from Final Fantasy VIII. I didn't play. I don't think I played enough of Final Fantasy VIII to get the airship. <laughs> it's a spaceship. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there we go. And you get it from the moon. Of course you do. And that's how you get back to Earth. That makes sense. And that's where you get. Um, Eyes on me playing for the first time. Oh, okay. Because there's an entire scene which extremely cheesy in retrospect, but uh, the Ragnarok is returning to Earth, a- atmospheric reentry, and uh, 
so the two main characters, Squall and Renoa, are floating around. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And the song is playing while this is all happening. You gotta love those, like, you look back on those those scenes and you're like, oh my god, they're so cheesy, but I still love them. Well, you know, nostalgia and all that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, so, the Hildegard, uh, it's very Final Fantasy IX. <laughs> I mean, much like the rest of the game, it's very stylized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's still another airship to come. Oh, wow. Maybe so, a couple more. I'm like, I'm 75% through the game, and here I'm finally getting these airships. Multiple airships. I've, I've finally got the ability to change out my party members at will. Well, they introduce, the air, they introduce an airship right at the beginning with the theater troops airship. That's true, but you can't do anything with that. It's not yours. So we've managed to spend a little more time with Kuja. Um, I think the last time we really talked about Kuja was when he was introduced with yeah. his dragon. Um, any updated thoughts on Kuja? Does the guy do anything? Like <laughs> <laughs> he's he talk he, he's just like I don't know. I I want to like him. I want to believe there's something there. I want to believe that he is going to pull out a good reason for being so over the top mm-hmm. and dramatic. Mm-hmm. But so far I haven't seen any of those reasons. It's like okay, Kefka was very over dramatic and over the top, but also he was a nihilist, which made it a lot of fun. And he his way of talking was always hilarious. Kuja just has that fancy sort of I am so villainous. I am so talk. effeminate. I'm gonna flip my hair. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I don't have a problem with that. I, I kind of like the way he looks because I, it's like, hey, are you David Bowie? I like you. <laughs> He's one of the weaker Final Fantasy villains, or at least one of the less memorable ones. He's better than yeah, the tree. I, yeah, you can't get worse than the tree. You know what's funny is that I feel like I know him better from watching Dissidia cutscenes than I do from this game. Mm. He named his dragon Silver Dragon. Who does that? <laughs> Somebody with not a lot of imagination. Apparently not. But he dresses himself really well, so he's got to have some imagination. He's very pretty. He's very pretty. He, his hair is fantastic. I I think you kind of learn what Kuja's deal is uh, not too long from now, actually. So. Yeah, I know there's a big twist slash reveal coming up somewhere. Like I like I said on my one of my reports, I know that there is a an existential crisis coming up, which reminds me actually, uh, poor Vivi, the Black Mages joined up with Kuja because he promised them that he can extend their their lifelines. I mean, what are you gonna do, right? Yeah, that's more or less his uh, his his philosophy on it. Yeah, how did Vivi react? Uh, at first he was mad, but then he actually kind of accepted it. He said, "You know what? If it was me, I'd probably do the same thing." Hmm. Interesting. Because he's, you kind of get the impression he's really bothered by the whole uh, limited lifespan thing. I would be too. Although, although some black mages did stay behind because they wanted to hatch a baby chocobo Aww. and it hatched. It was really cute. In Vivi's shoes, I would be the exact same way because I am firmly of the belief that we only get one life, and he better cherish it. And to only have a very brief amount of time on on this world where you are conscious and not part of the the nether i suppose uh would be pretty like upsetting a little bit it's like oh yeah. great especially since with the uh, the black mages the only thing they understand is that they maybe have a year or two emily was or my girlfriend emily was com- we were hanging out last night and we had our cat with us hamish ah. and she just looks at him and goes we're elves to them <laughs> We live forever, that's right. Yeah, because we live so many 
lifetimes for a cat. Mm-hmm. When a cat will live to be maybe 20 and we can live up into our like 80s, 90s. So that's like four cat lifetimes. Ah. So yeah. the elephant, so that would be the equivalent of an elf being able to live like, you know, eight, 400 years or something like that. Yeah. Like, I know Hi, that's why, look, this is a 400 year old person. That's why Dragonlance always said that, that's, I understand it, was that's why the elves were such assholes to humans because they didn't want to get attached to them. I, uh, that makes kind of a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, in, meanwhile, in Lord of the Rings, like, they're living to be like 3,000 or, Way yeah, aren't they immortal that. in Lord of the Rings? They're immortal, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a super sad story. It's like, yes, uh, what's her name? Um, Arwen is going to end up together with uh, the main character, Aragorn. But, yeah, he's going to get old and die. And she's going to be old. <laughs> she's not going to ever get old. And that's just gonna how it's going to be. Sorry. I thought Aragorn was half-elf. I thought I heard he was somewhere. But then she's going to have kids with him, so it's okay, I guess. And then she gets so to then, watch those kids get old, too. I was going to say, the, 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 kind of, the kids are going to have an if, uh, a, fin- a finite lifespan. She's a little short-sighted there. <laughs> I guess well, she can watch her infinite grandchildren, assuming that they decide to keep marrying and having kids. I was going to say, and then like by the time that she has like great-great-great-grandkids, they're going to be like, who the hell are you? <laughs> All right. Have you done any more of the side quests? I'm trying to think. I played a little more Chocobo Hot and go and Cold. Um, I ha- I know. I guess I haven't done too many of the side quests. Mm-hmm. I've just been kind of like plugging ahead, I suppose. Still blitzing through the game. Still blitzing through the game. Played a little bit more of uh, uh what's that stupid card game? Tetramaster. Tetramaster. Yeah, because I had actually had to do that as part of the plot. Um, and Trino. Did you like it? And I. W- yeah, I won. So I liked Yay. it. <laughs> Trino's like kind of like ring. the golden saucer. It really is, yeah. It's more like a kind of a casino thing going on. Not as yeah. many mini games. No snowboarding mini game. <laughs> I played the hell out of that mo- motorcycle game in the golden saucer. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I played the snowboarding game the most. I, I played that too a lot. I found the submarine game and the s- I found the submarine game and the motorcycle game kind of boring. The submarine game was boring, but I really like the motorcycle game. I like the music for it, too. All right. Final thoughts on this installment of the Final Fantasy IX Report. Oh, it was a pretty exciting uh, installment, I think. I, I advanced quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I am at a very pivotal point in the story, I suppose, because anything can happen. Uh, I saw Bahamut get his ass kicked, and that was kind of interesting, sad, because he's one of my favorite summons. Uh, and yeah, other than... Kuja being kind of like, what's your deal, man? Uh, yeah, I like it. Same party? Enjoying it very much. Uh, that's a good question. Let's see. No, you know what? Since I got um, Freya back, I think I've been using her. So I have uh, Zidon, Freya, uh, Vivi, and uh, Garnet. All right. And uh, we'll be back again next week for the continuation of the Final Fantasy IX report. We're moving right along. Yes, we are. Uh, we're going to end up making you do the, the post-game content, too. Nadia, get ready. Is post-game content? Okay, Nadia, as usual, we talk about the comments. And this time I remember to post the show notes, so we got some comments Yes, here. thank you. Okay, so Rider Kicker says, uh, The bummer about Vivi was the most sad thing in the game thus far, especially when we've all grown to love him. 
Even Steiner thought him of him like a son. That's true, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's actually, Steiner's kind of a jerk to everyone except Vivi. Interesting connection to Blade Runner, by the way, he says. Um, Rider Kicker also says, For once I thought Atlas would have abandoned SMT when Persona 5 was made a bit like the mainline series, especially in the enemies you fight. Glad I was wrong, because that trailer, whoa. Mm-hmm. I really have to get back to playing Nocturne, since I heard that was the last console iteration, as the DS had three iterations of four. Perhaps we'll get a journal one day? Curse this holiday season. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Ryder Kirker also says, Oh yeah, I never grinded to beat the Elite Four in the original game. I just used the missing no cheat. Boo. With Rare Candy. Oh. And I went straight through the rest of the game. <laughs> so here's the trick, Ryder Kicker. Rare Candy is not good, actually. No, Rare Candy, you can't raise... Even I know you can't raise a good Pokemon with, with Rare Candy. Nope, because you're not going to be able to get the proper EVs by beating yep. lots of monsters. Your monster is going to be necessarily weak. Yeah. As kids, we didn't know anything about EVs. Oh, they were also called something totally different Yeah. Uh, in the original game. And only one ki- kid was all, you cheated, but it means your Pokemon are still weak. Last year or so, <laughs> when the Red and Blue games were on sale, I got both games for me and a friend, and I forced myself to grind. It's still a pain in the butt. But duplicating TMs helped a bit, even though I used only one TM. Red and blue and gold and silver still had the problems, but Fire Red and Leaf Green got really smart about the grinding, while Heart Gold and Soul Silver did not. I have got to beat Sun. I still haven't, as I forgot how to play a party and wasted my playtime training my monsters. Uh, You know what we forgot to talk about in this freaking hour and 25 minute podcast, Nadia? Oh, Team Rocket Rainbow. Team Rainbow Rocket. Team Rainbow Rocket. We'll we'll get to it, but I'm yeah, pretty they look happy fantastic. about it. Yeah. I love that all the teams are finally coming together. It's like the Legion of Doom with... They're coming back. They're coming back and they're going to kick your ass. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. All the bosses yeah. from the past. It's going to be fun. Oh, but that means that the uh, the main villain from uh, Black and White is going to come back and he's the best character in Pokemon. Is he the green-haired kid? The green-haired kid, yeah. The okay, one yeah. who is connected to Pokemon and thinks that they're being enslaved because he's kind of right. Oh, oh, that's going to be fun. And you keep coming out. Because <laughs> like, he's kind of no, right. They're our that. friends. They're partners. Yeah. yeah, this is all consensual. <laughs> <laughs> uh, React says, the abundant RE, the abundance of giant sacred trees and JRPGs, while the Japanese culture has strong reverence for nature, I think it's more a reference to the tree of life that appears in mythology across cultures. Symphonies in particular is a referent, direct reference to the Yggdrasil tree in Norse myth. Jewish Kabbalah also has a tree of life in the form of the Ten Sephirot slash Sephiroth, which Sephiroth, was yeah. heavily drawn upon in Tales of the Abyss and played deeply into the game's themes. There's also the te- Celtic tree of life and probably many other iterations I'm not familiar with. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, uh, especially like uh, it's funny because um... – Japan knows everything about the Kabbalah, but I, I don't know an average Jew who knows a, th- a thing about it. Like, it's basically it's Jewish mysticism. It's, um, you either have, like, these really old ancient rabbis, like, who study it, or you have the people in Japan who are just really crazy about the myths. <laughs> and they are really cool. Like, Jewish myth has a lot of really interesting stuff about, like, the demons and, and all of that. Like, and of course, golems are from our original myth. Uh, so there is some really interesting stuff there. And I can see why Japan latched onto it, but it's just funny because if I went to, like, my average Jewish friend said, hey, what do you think of the, the Ten Sephiroth or whatever? They'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Is that, a, is that an RPG villain? <laughs> Ryok adds, nice hearing I wasn't the only one who just trained up one to two Pokemon in the older games. I was only eight or nine when I played Blue, so I pretty much soloed the game with Charizard. Same with Silver, Crystal, and Sapphire. Though in the latter, I did raise on and Azumarill and Pelipper as well. 
Still, Blaziken ended up a good 15 to 20 levels ahead of everybody else. <laughs> yeah, that Especially happens. Especially because Blaziken was so B in the game. Same with uh, Infernape. Once you got to... Once you got to the Elite Four, Blaziken could kick everybody's ass. Is that why everyone, whenever you bring up fire and fighting type, everyone loses their minds? Well, I, maybe. Uh, I think it's just that fire and fighting became... There were maybe three starters in a row who were firefighting. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I people got Infernape, a little like sick of said. it by the third go-around. Because <laughs> <laughs> Infernape, at the time, was a better Blaziken. Mm-hmm. And then Blaziken got a second ability, a hidden ability that gave it speed boost. And right. as soon as it got that, it became extremely OP because right. it had really great attack and everything. And uh, Super Blaziken from <laughs> Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, the Mega Form or whatever, it was even more overpowered to the point of being banned. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what. Um... Uh, what's Litten's uh, final form? Uh, I can't remember what that is. Me neither. Oh, Litten. Um, oh, Litten becomes the uh the 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 wrestle cat. Yeah, I know he becomes wrestle cat, but I can't remember what type he is. Oh, uh, fire. I, I think it's just fire. Is it just pure fire? Yeah, I maybe. Him, see, I named him Nakamura after Nakamura, the wrestler. Uh, I thought that was really clever. Now I'm going to look this up because I'm kind of curious. Um, so Litten becomes the Incineroar. Incineroar, that's it. And Incineroar is a fire dark type. That's right. Okay. And now I'm kind of curious what Incineroar's uh, tier is in Smogon. Did you not? You who did you uh, choose for uh, Sun and Moon? Guess what tier Incineroar is in. The never used tier. Aw, for Incineroar. Why not? He's so cute. He tries so hard. Great natural bulk and a solid typing allow Incineroar to ta- ta- check top threats. And plus it has a high attack st- t- stat and nice stab conversa- uh, combination. While Incineroar's offensive move pool is not the largest, it also has the tools it needs to act as an effective pivot. However, Incineroar does possess a low speed stat. That's never good. Yeah. Which leaves it easily revenge killed by powerful offensive Pokemon. <laughs> revenge killed. And that's what it is, that's because great. like you uh you kill a thing and uh-huh. then something comes out and you can't switch out. Like it'll use right. an attack that will chase you or right. or something. And it's like, Oh, sorry, you're dead. Pokemon's hardcore, man. Yep. And Cernoror is also susceptible to all forms of entry hazards, in particular stealth rock. Which hinders mm-hmm. it greatly as a pivot. So, in short, Incineroar sucks. Sorry. No, he doesn't. He's cute, and he's my friend. No, sorry, you shouldn't be using it. And <laughs> what do you use? Throw it Rowlet? in the trash pile. <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna. No, throw it in the, the trash best. Pile. My favorite new Pokemon was the the little ghost puppet Pikachu, the one that. The... Oh, Mimikyu. Yeah, that one's a nasty little bugger. Mimikyu's awesome. He's awesome, but he's he's a nasty. Thing. Yeah. All right, that's the end of our episode. Axe of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Thanks to everybody who gave us lots of positive reviews. Guess what, Nadia? We are well over the 100 review mark, and we've uh, so many people gave us good reviews that we are back up to a solid five stars. Yay! Yay! Thank you, everyone. I appreciate that. We appreciate that. We so appreciate it. Keep giving us nice reviews. And if you have something to say, just drop us a note uh, in the reviews. Uh, I mean, it really brightens our day. 
to mm-hmm, hear that you like us. I mean, we've been getting a fair amount of nice feedback since we've started the Final Fantasy IX report. Uh, people seem to really like these, Nadia. So, oh, good. Well, the, you know, it's too bad that the game's going to end soon because yeah. Well, I mean, there are more sad. be more games like that. I hear that there are like fourteen more po- uh, Final Fantasies to play. Wow, really? Yeah. So there are many Nintendo? reports to come. <laughs> Not all Final <laughs> Fantasy, I hope. No. Uh, of course, we stream every Tuesday and Thursday. We just had Katie uh, stream for the first time. She streamed Bubsy. <laughs> She did, and it's funny. I checked in on the feed just for a second. I heard the word "hate" three times in like ten seconds. It was great. Sounds about right. So <laughs> keep checking in on that. And of course, we have our other podcast, the flagship podcast, the US Gamer Podcast. And this past week, we were talking about Super Mario Odyssey. We were talking about mm-hmm. Wolfenstein Two, game loading, violence in video games because of that horrible PlayStation uh, games reveal. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that that was great. Yeah, I mean, where somebody was getting their arms broken, clipped their wings. Oh, my God, so terrible. <laughs> Ugh. It's very deep and meaningful. And, of course, follow us on the social medias. I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. And US Gamer is US Gamer Net on pretty much everything. All right. Nadia, we're off. Thanks. We're off. As usual, to listening to us. We'll be back, as we as always, next Friday. And we will keep marching on through... Well, all of the things through this holiday season. It's almost time for the the big final push. And mm-hmm. I'm very excited. We still got more RPGs to come, including Pokemon Ultra Gold, Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon, and all that good stuff. So, all right. For Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. And we'll see you again next time. Until then, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.